0: And so we're calling it counterfeit because it's a claim. It's a claim to something that will not fulfill, that looks a lot like the real thing. It looks a lot like the real thing. You can see on the back, uh, these these are lies that we believe. God won't put on you more than you can handle, to each his own. I deserve it. Everything happens for a reason. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, if you're thinking that that there's some slightly controversial things in here, then you're right. (laughs) That's part of the point. Uh, We're going to have fun with this, I hope, Uh, because we are going to look at some things that maybe some of us have a vested interest in. Some of us has a, have a vested interest in false claims. Now, I've, I've actually taught on this particular uh, false claim uh, that, I'm, that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I, I kid you not, uh, within days, I had someone say it to me. God won't put on you more than you can handle. As though they weren't there on Sunday. Because we have such a vested interest. We're used to saying things over and over again, sometimes counterfeit things, that that we believe are true. And we're going to examine them. And you know, one of the ways that, that, um, that we examine what's true, or what, really what's false, what's counterfeit, is to look at the real deal. You know, there's, a, there, there's something that I thought might be urban legend out there. And that is that federal agents, in order to identify counterfeit money, are trained to look at the real thing. They're trained to look very closely and to, to study real money, right? And I thought, well, that's a cute little story that may be floating around. But I, I did a little research and, and uh, you know, five minutes on the Internet. And I found out, <laughs> actually, a, a researcher named Tim Challies, uh, really bright guy, great guy, uh, had the same question and uh, sat down and, and interviewed some federal agents about this. And I said, yeah, that, that's actually right. And so I, I, borrowed, I borrowed this from one of my rich uh, high school graduates uh, this morning. It's the only way I'd ever see something like this is to borrow it from... Well, maybe I didn't borrow it. Maybe I'll maybe I, maybe I keep it. One of the Benjamins here, and and, and one of the, the the four ways that that you look at 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 money is is that you look at it just to see you know the markings and the complexity of it and some of the raised print and, and and you look through it because you can see if you look through it you can see a watermark there and you touch it because it's different from normal paper right you touch touch the other kind of paper it just doesn't feel right and you tilt it there's a little hologram on here. You can see a bell, you can see a hundred, you can see a bell, you can see a hundred. And, and so, you, you, so you look at it, you look through it, you touch it, you tilt it. You learn the markings of the real thing. And the more that you see the real thing, the more that you're used to looking at the real thing, the more a fake will look like a fake. Right? Well, why do people, why do people buy into counterfeits? Well, a lot of times, people buy into counterfeits because they're not looking at the real thing; they're not distinguishing between the real thing and the false. But more often than not, especially when we're in crisis, we want some—we want a quick fix, don't we? We want—we want quick comfort. We want something that meets us at the symptom. We don't want to deal with causes and conditions when we're in crisis. We want something that, that helps us feel better right there in the moment. And I think that's why some of these false claims perpetuate is they help us. They run a really short distance. But one of the reasons why the Bible, thousands and thousands of years old, endures is because it speaks to the human, dish, human condition. It doesn't speak to the human symptoms. It speaks to the human condition. And so, although we're having fun with this, I'm deadly serious. We've got to know the real thing from the counterfeit because one speaks to the cause and condition and the other just makes us feel better for a moment. And so we're going to look at the claim, the false claim. Every week we're going to look at the, at the claim. We're going to look at, at the source of that claim. Where does it come from? What scripture is it sort of based on? So so the false claim, the counterfeit claim, the source of it, the problem with it, and the solution. Claim, source, problem, solution. Here we go. Here's the claim. This morning's claim is, God won't put on you more than you can handle. Have you heard that before? You've heard that before. Have you said that to yourself? Have you said that to somebody else? Shame on you. (laughs) Now, when someone says it to you, what they're saying is, they're saying, there, there, dear, it'll be alright. Isn't that what they're saying? God won't put on you more than you can handle, sugar. <laughs> there, there, dear. It'll be all right. And maybe, maybe that's all we want in the moment. We just want somebody to give us some assurance, reassurance, that it's going to be all right, even if, it's not, even if it's a castle built in the air with no foundation. We're, we're fine with that. We just, that's all we want. God won't put on you more than you can handle. Now, that's when someone says it to you or you say it to somebody else. When you say it to yourself, what are you actually saying? Let's interpret that. What are you actually saying? You're saying, it can't get any worse than this. (laughs) Right? Please, God. It can't get any worse than this. That's the claim. That's the counterfeit claim. Where does it come from? I think it comes from 1 Corinthians ten 13. 1 Corinthians ten 13. Let's look at that together. And, and, and you see, if you back up just one verse to verse 12, I'm going to read verse 12, and then I'm going to read this verse, and you'll begin to see how wrong it is. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he, lest he fall. What does that seem to be talking about? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from all idolatry. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. God won't put on you more than you can handle. I don't know what handle really means. What does that mean? It's vague. What he's saying is is that God won't allow you to be tempted without providing a way out. That's what the scripture actually says. See, where the confusion comes in is that temptations and trials, especially in the King James version, some people interchange those, and they think, well, a trial is often understood to be something where we feel temptation. We we're strained, we're stretched. Life is is closing in on us, and we're We're tempted to make life work for us apart from God. That's that's sin. That's temptation to sin. And so a trial and temptation, they do have some overlap. But when you reduce the whole thing to just a trial or just some difficulty or crisis, and then you try to make this scripture say something it's not saying, a false promise that God isn't going to put on you more than you can bear or handle, you're actually missing the point of the scripture. Because if you back up to verse 12, it's saying, watch out, watch your step. It's talking about temptation. It's not talking about life's challenges and difficulties. It's talking about moral temptation. Moral temptation. Context is king, in other words. if You take a verse out of context and you just put it on needlepoint or, you know, you just... You know, sort of spouted off in the moment, out of context, you can make Scripture say what you want it to say. But in context, it doesn't take even much context to see that this is about temptation and about our need for God, for Him to provide a way of not succumbing to temptation, not entering into temptation. That's, that's the source. So what, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with this? A couple things that are wrong with it. First of all, that when you say to somebody, God won't put on you more than you can handle, what you're actually presuming or the, the, uh, the premise here is that what God wants for us is for us to stand on our own that in the midst of life's trials and temptations, that his whole goal for us is for us to be able to stand by ourselves and be our own rock. Psalm 46 says that even while the, 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 the mountains crumble into the heart of the sea, that we can have confidence that God is our refuge and strength. And yet here we are, we're making false claims to each other and to ourselves, that God is just sort of engineering circumstances so that we can learn to stand on our own feet and be our own rock. It's the wrong goal. It's been perpetuated by psychologists, one in particular named Maslow. And the idea is that there's a pyramid here and that as, as, as long as you have the more basic needs or primal needs taken care of, you can get to some of the, more, uh, the, the higher up needs or the more sophisticated needs. And that the point is, is that once you have, you know, air and, and food and water, and once you have a, a, a sense of security, that, that you have what, uh, you know, the provision that you need, and, and you begin to have the social climate that you want to be in, that, that you can begin to be a spiritual person, and that you can, you can start to, to c- come alive and, and be self-actualized. And you know what this is this is the cultural milieu this this what I just described to you that pyramid influences thought more than you can even imagine it's the presumption that the goal of life is for each one of us to be our own island for each one of us to be so individualized And so secure, alone, so, in other words, independent, that we don't need anyone, anything. That's not the goal of Scripture. Now, that's the goal of adolescence, okay? That's the goal of adolescence. You, cannot, you, know, you want children to become independent. You want them to learn to tie their shoes and socks. You want them to learn to make their own decisions and do their homework on their own and, and finish that college application by themselves. <laughs> it didn't work out very well, but... They're not here this morning, I can, I can say that. <laughs> One of them is, and she she was perfect. (laughs) It's two ruffians she lives with, you know. That's the goal of adolescence, is independence. The goal of adulthood is interdependence. You see, that's the problem. That's the problem with twisting this scripture that God won't put on you more than you can handle, as though the goal is just for us to be self-actualized, independent, all on our own. You know, you want kids to play on, on teams so they learn teamwork, not so that they can just spend their lives flattening the opponent. <laughs> At some point, they have to move from competition to collaboration. That's what it means to grow up. That's, that's the first thing that's wrong with it. It's the wrong goal. Independence is the wrong goal. Interdependence is the ultimate goal. Relationship, right? Right? the wrong goal. Second of all, what's wrong with it is that it's just (laughs) wrong because he does put on you more than you can handle, right? How do I know that? Well, because I'm married to a woman who had triplets. (laughs) Now, you tell a woman who's pregnant with triplets that God won't put on you more than you can handle. Good luck. Right? I remember uh, one night we were sitting there. I was in the glider feeding one of these babies, and she was feeding the other two, and y'all can figure out that, right? And, And I fell asleep, and I heard I was awakened by a thud. it wasn't the baby. (laughs) It, It was the bottle, right? It was the bottle. The bottle hit, but it could have been the baby. It could have been the baby. And I thought to myself, we need help. We need help, right? And here I am, you know, in my second year of ministry, and I'm down in Texas. We're a thousand miles from everybody that we, you know, call family and friends. And I'm supposed to be helping this church. I'm supposed to be serving this church. And we need people. What a position to be in. You ever think God is going to put you in that position on purpose? You better believe it. Because his goal for you is not for you to be your own rock. His goal for you is not for you to be an island. His goal for you is not to be isolated from the people that are around your dinner, dinner table and And for the people that are sitting around you that you're seeing every week, his goal for you is not for you to have a stiff upper lip and convince everybody that you're okay all by yourself, that you got it all figured out. His goal for you is relationship with him, with each other. And so that's what's wrong with spouting off this platitude, God won't put on you more than you can handle That's what's wrong with it. And what's the truth? What are the real expectations that we should have? The first is this. You will be tempted. How do I know that? Because temptations meet us every day. They're constant. You will be tempted daily, and so you need to plan daily. You need to meet them daily. You will be tempted every day. Temptations are a constant in your life. And so we need to plan to meet them every day. That's why that's what Jesus says to us about temptation. When you look at 1 Corinthians 10 and you match that up with the Lord's Prayer, where, where do we find help? It says, lead me not into temptation. You say, well, is God going to lead us into temptation? Is that why there are temptations every day? I I heard about a t-shirt. A girl had this t-shirt on. It said, lead me not into temptation. And on the back it said, I can find it all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) Is God leading us into temptation? I think what's going on here is a little bit like, uh, if you look at St. Augustine. Now, St. Augustine is someone who's shaped thought, Western thought. Almost as much as, as anyone. Maybe more than anyone. Certainly has shaped uh, thought in, in the church. St. Augustine. He wrote his book called Confessions. And he does confess. I'll tell you. He, conf- he was a wild man. He was a wild man before he became. Uh, really one of the founding fathers of modern church. And, uh, and he said this famous prayer. He said Lord give me chastity and give me self-restraint but not yet <laughs> because that's that's an honest prayer right that's an honest prayer he's he's praying honestly and so when jesus says pray every day lead me not into temptation it is a common question people have. Does, does God lead us into temptation? Well, first, James 1.13 says, no, he doesn't. God doesn't actually tempt you to sin. No, he doesn't tempt you to sin. He doesn't want you to sin. So why do we pray, God, lead me not in temptation, as if suggesting that somehow he would? It's because of this. We pray for our daily bread, and when we pray for our daily bread, and when we say the blessing before uh, a meal, what we're saying is, Lord, I, we need you. We need you for our daily bread. We need your guidance. We need you to lead us. And I need you to lead me even at the place of my deepest desires. And so when we're play, praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, we're, we're, we're talking almost to our own souls saying, All good gifts come from God. We're reminding ourselves as much as anything that. That we depend on God for our daily bread. And when we say, Lord, lead me not into temptation, we're saying to our souls, we're saying, God, give me the desire, lead me in a way that doesn't say, give me chastity and give me self-restraint, but not yet. We're saying, God, guide my desires out of temptation. And so... That's the real deal. The counterfeit is God won't put on you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Because he wants sometimes to drive us to him and sometimes into each other's lives. Because he's made us for himself. And as St. Augustine has said, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And he's made us for each other. He's put us into community with each other. It's not one of those options. It's not just something that says, well, I'll... I'll." be a part of other people's lives at my own convenience. He's saying, well, watch out with that. Because I I do believe that God sometimes will drive us to a place where we must depend on each other for our own good. You see, what it says then in verse 12, right before, it says, uh, therefore, let uh, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What's he saying? What's he saying? He says, he's saying, don't, you know, like our recent, all our recent graduates here, don't turn the tassel on thinking you're past temptation. Don't turn the tassel and thinking that you don't need accountability in your life. Don't turn the tassel and think you've ever arrived at a place where you've got, well, at least in terms of that sin or that pattern figured out. Don't turn the tassel lest you fall. Uh, during, uh, w- when I was coming of age, uh, I remember the scandals of a couple of televangelists. You know who I'm talking about, some of y'all. Baker, Swaggart, right? And uh, someone came up to Billy Graham during that time as though he were just sort of a, of a similar ilk. Perhaps in, in their minds, he hadn't distinguished himself. And they asked him, they asked him, what makes you different? How come you haven't succumbed to this kind of temptation with all the power that you have, all the opportunities, surely, that you have? And he said, well, w- one practical thing is that I don't, I don't allow myself to be alone uh, with a member of the opposite sex. I don't go riding. I don't meet with them unless I have somebody outside the, the, the door. I have a lot of accountability in my life. What does that say? It says we need accountability. But he also said this. He said, and the other reason is this, every day I pray to the Lord that I won't be next. There's somebody you respect, somebody who's 95 years old, who's lived a powerful life, who's saying he's not beyond the need for God's grace and sustaining, guiding power. How about you?